0: the teaching ministry of judah olorimai a man called of god to compel consecration provoke repentance and inspire worship by the preaching and teaching of god's word and the miraculous demonstration of god's power god's word is about to hit you as life and strength get ready for an encounter with grace before let's look into today's subjects discuss 1 4, verse 12, and 2, 19. we we'll look at the general text again. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing has happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when His glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached, For the name of Christ, blessed are you. For the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part is blasphemed, but on your part is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. Creator. I want to teach on the subject of Christian suffering or suffering as a Christian. Suffering as a Christian. That is what I want to teach about tonight. Let us quickly pray in a few seconds. Spirit of God, help us. Help our infirmities. Bring illumination and revelation. Let your word not waste over our hearts. Bring understanding and bring light to the simple. In Jesus name we pray Suffering as a Christian Let me start from what I said last week And stretch it beyond the boundaries of my last week's conversation Even for the Christian Suffering is inevitable Suffering will happen There is nothing you can do about it There is no prayer you can pray That will ensure that you don't suffer at all Christianity is not a bed of roses. There are sufferings included in the, as it were, covenant of the Christian life. But for a start, as it were, the issue is not about suffering because you are a Christian. The issue is about suffering because you are a human, you are a human being. On this side of eternity, there is suffering. And it is true that you are a Christian, that is your first identity. But you also identify as a woman. You are not a spirit in the sense that you have a body. It's not like you go about like wind. It's not like you are not tangible. You are not visible. You are not an angel. You have a body. You are a woman. And you are on the earth. So suffering will happen. Romans chapter 8 and verse 18. The sufferings of this present time is not worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed. So there is something called this present time. Everybody say this present time. And in this present time, there is suffering because you are a human being. But he says it's not willing to be, to, be, to, be, to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed. So there's a future revelation that will happen after this present time that will eliminate suffering. But as long as you exist on the earth, in this present time, you will suffer because you are human. Okay, John 16:33 tells us that in this world, you shall suffer tribulation. In this world. Notice the emphasis of in this world, in this world, in this world. In the world to come, there will be no tribulation. There will be no trial. There will be no persecution. There will be no suffering. But in this present world, we explained last week that even though you as a Christian are without sin, the earth, the universe, is a universe of sin. The mosquito biting you, it is biting you because there is sin in the mosquito. You don't have sin, you are a Christian. Jesus has taken away your sin. But mosquito does not know that one. The sun is shining too much on your head. And the temperature is rising in the way that your skin is burning. There is sin in the sun. Even though you don't have sin. But because you are in this falling, broken world. Suffering will still happen. Even though you are a Christian because you are in this world. Are we together? So Christianity is not a bed of roses. many people were not taught correctly. They told them, give your life to Christ and your suffering will end. There are some sufferings that should end when you become a Christian and I also emphasize that. For instance, the suffering of guilt and condemnation from sin should end. As a Christian, you have no business suffering from guilt. Jesus took away your sin. Jesus removed sin from the record books of God. You are not supposed to go under the torment of sin. And the fear of hell for a Christian that's not a miserable suffering, but there are still some sufferings you will still experience because you're on the earth or because you are even a Christian. First Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 4. I like the way Paul says it to the Thessalonian church. He said, When we were with you, we told you that suffering was part of the package, you would suffer tribulation, and it happened exactly as we told you. Which, see, many Christians were not told that they will suffer when they become Christians, when they become born again. They were told that when you become born again, life will be bed bed of roses life. But it says, Paul told the Thessalonian church, I told you guys. This suffering matter, it will happen. You can escape it. And it happened exactly the way I said it. And if you were not told that there will be suffering for Christianity's sake or for Jesus' sake, let me tell you freely tonight. If you are a Christian, if you are born again, there are certain sufferings that are reserved for you. And you can't dodge it. You can't escape it. No matter how hard you pray and how you try, it is something that will happen. Paul said, Exactly as we told you, it happened. So no surprises. In First Peter it says, Count it not strange. It's not a strange thing. It's not something we'll be shocked about. It's not something we should I mean we should be surprised about. It is something that we expect to happen. Acts chapter nine. And verse 16, after Paul was converted, Jesus was speaking with a man and he told him how Paul was going to suffer for his name's sake. It was part of the calling of Paul, as it was. It was part of the ministry of Paul to suffer for Christ's sake. Please let it be established as a Christian and more importantly, as it was, as a human being. Some sufferings are inevitable. On this side of eternity. We must not be surprised. We must not be shocked. We must be prepared. Psalm 34 and verse verse 19. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. But it says that the Lord will deliver them from it all. Now when it says many are the afflictions of the righteous. It tells you that afflictions will happen to the righteous. Are we still together? When it says the Lord will deliver him out of them all. It does not mean that the righteous will not be afflicted. It means that the afflictions will be short-lived. The affliction will not be forever. The affliction will not always last. But to say, I'm righteous, I will not be afflicted. Uh-uh. That's not what the Bible teaches. Job chapter 14 and verse 1. It <laughs> says it's responsible to human beings. He that is born of woman is of few days and many trouble. Fourteen one of Job. If you are born of a woman, in other words, once you have flesh and blood, you are a human being. There will be trouble. There will be suffering. It's part of the equation. So, suffering... I'm trying to distinguish between suffering as a woman being and then suffering for Christ's sake. But my emphasis tonight is the subject matter of suffering as a Christian. It is different from suffering as a woman. It is different from suffering because you are on the side of eternity. But it also is an important subject. We need to consider suffering as a Christian. Let's look at the few scriptures in First Peter chapter 3. And we enter into First Peter chapter 4 again just to uh, thoroughly understand this subject matter 1st verse chapter 3 and verse 14 well, well let's, let's we start from verse, verse from verse um, from verse 10 because I like the background of the conversation Peter was not advocating for unnecessary suffering in verse 10 it says he would love life and see good days everybody say good days Don't day. see so good days suggests that it is possible to live in a way that you don't have to suffer unnecessarily. Some sufferings are not important. Okay? Let him refrain his tongue from evil. So he teaches you, if you don't want to over-suffer, suffer for nothing, refrain your tongue from evil. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Some of you are suffering because you have not sought peace. You are always quarreling, always fighting. At the bus stop, you are always showing your other color. Those agoros are always slapping you, punching you. They are always arguing on the media. People are always giving you wicked, wicked insults. That makes you depressed. you are not minding your business. Putting your mouth in everything. And Peter says, it's not necessary. Refrain from evil, seek peace. Are we still together? Yeah. Verse 12. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, look at that. And his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And who is he who will harm you? Look at that statement. If you become followers of what is good. But you must understand the context of the conversation. In verse 14, But even if you should suffer, So even though you are a follower of what is good, He now tells you, It's still possible to suffer for righteousness' sake. He says, However, when you suffer like that, You are blessed. Do not be afraid of their threats, Nor be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your heart and be always ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. In other words, even when you are suffering, you must still be able to give an answer that the reason why you are happy, why you are hopeful, why you are joyful, just why the suffering is because you know that eventually this is not forever. You know that eventually it is only on this side of eternity. You know that God is still in control despite those inevitable sufferings. Are we still together? Go to verse 17, please, because of time. For it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. So there's a possibility here that somebody suffers as the will of God. We said last week that suffering is not the will of God. Is that not so? But we are speaking in a general sense. We now say here, that it is possible that a man suffers the will of God that is implied here suggests that God permits the suffering, and yet the man is suffering for doing good. And this is a statement you must thoroughly understand very well, very well. And I want to try and ensure that tonight you get it because you must see a suffering and be able to recognize if this suffering is the will of God, if it is suffering for doing good, or if it is suffering for your carelessness, or for doing evil, or because you are a human being. You must be able to discern and judge and separate. Because there are many sufferings that Christians have accepted and say, it is the will of God. Meanwhile, it is not the will of God. So, Peter brings a clause here, if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good. And I'm establishing here that when he says, if it is the will of God, It does not mean that even when you suffer for doing good, it is God's will that you suffer. No. The phrase, it is the will of God, is that God can stop the evil. Listen to me. If a Christian is being persecuted, they are about to cut his hand off because he refused to renounce Jesus. God can stop it. Are you following me? God is powerful now. He can make the person that is about to cut his hand run mad. I say, you want to cut run run mad now he can do that but the phrase if it is the will of god means it is not every time god interferes in christian suffering sometimes he lets it happen so when we say if it is the will of god god does is, you cannot say oh it is i am suffering as a christian now i am being persecuted and it is the will of god in the sense that god enjoys it god takes pleasure from it no that's not how we define this phrase will of god here in first peter chapter 3 are you following me when we say if it is the will of God, it means that God will not over, God may not override the circumstance with His sovereignty. He may let it slide, let it slide. So that's what it means by if it's the will of God. It does not mean that God gets any pleasure from seeing Christians beheaded and seeing matthias their blood being shed up and down. No, no. God wants us to live full, live well, live healthy. I mean, for instance, if somebody is beaten, like Paul was beaten 39 times, he may fall sick. That's not God's will, but it's not every time God will interfere. God, God will say, okay, let, 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 the, let the suffering happen, and I will soon explain to you why God does not interfere if he does not, he does not tamper with his ultimate plan for that man's life. God can let His life. God can let this light. He does not tamper with God's ultimate plan for that season, for that person's life, God can let some of those sufferings. That's why Paul now says these sufferings are not worthy. So when we compare them to the ultimate glory, it's small thing. He was not trivializing the suffering, but he was saying, when you compare it to what we will eventually have, it's not something that we should be always expecting God to come and stop and interfere. I just let it slide up. Oh, it's much in the way. Are we getting it? Please note what it means when it says if it is the will of God. First Peter chapter 4 and verse 15 we saw it clearly and we read it clearly but I want to re-emphasize it again. Let none of you suffer as a murderer. So start from verse 14. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, everybody say, for the name of Christ. Please, follow the conversation closely. Look into the scriptures. Look at how it speaks these things. Don't misquote the Bible. Don't misunderstand the Bible. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you. For the spirit of glory and of God Rest upon you On their part he is blasphemed But on your part he is glorified Go ahead to verse 15 But l- let none of you suffer as a murderer So there is reproach For the name of Christ Or suffering for the name of Christ There is suffering as a murderer Suffering as a thief I was reading um, An author Last week And uh, he went to the prison And he was it was one of the most um, notorious prisons in the United States of America. It's like a place where they keep the worst kinds of criminals. It was actually Zachariah Zacharias I was reading. Are we still together? Can you hear me? And then he, he was supposed to have a session where people just come. They have a church in that prison. But it's a very dangerous prison. Nobody goes there without self protection. If you go to that kind of prison, you have to carry a knife. Because the people that are there are hardened criminals. They enjoy seeing blood. They are hardened. The people that are there are never going to be released. Most people that are there are either going to die by execution or they will die in jail. So, death there is a normal thing. Stabbing and punching people is a about play. So, you can't go there without a knife in your pocket. Someone just come and hit you with stick from the air. Everybody just starts WrestleMania. It's a normal life. And they went, Ravi went there. And then he met somebody there who received Jesus after he got to prison. And then he asked him, How did you get here? I was Oh, uh, I think I killed a few people and all that. He said, You don't look bothered. He said, Oh. He said, Yeah. I'm bothered actually. I'm bothered. He said, But I'm not bothered for myself. So, what are you bothered for? He said, I'm bothered for my family. So, tell me about your family. He said, My family, oh, they are wealthy people, but they have not known Jesus. So, what have you asked him, Wait, do you know you are going to die in this prison? He said, Oh, yes, I know. He said, You're not bothered about that? He said, No. He said, When I came here and I found Jesus, he said, The joy in my soul did not make me bother about that. I would die here. He said, no, I'm not even bothered about it. He said, I'm bothered for my family that are outside there. They are enjoying so called liberty, but they have not known Jesus. He said, I'm worried for them. He said, because I'm better than them. I may be in prison, but I'm better than them. Are, are you following me? That's what it means when he says, the sufferings of this present time, it's not worthy. It's not worthy to be compared. So he, he looked at these people that were free outside and he was pitying them. And he is in a jail where somebody can come and stab him. He doesn't consider that as any big deal. Because he knows eventually he'll be in heaven. So let no, none of you suffer as a mother. Right? There is the suffering... For being a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or a busybody in other people's matters. Yet, if anyone suffers as a Christian. Now, this is a different conversation. It's not if anyone suffers as a woman being. It's not if anyone suffers as one born of a woman. Are you still listening to me? Yet, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. So, the shame that follows suffering as a mother, suffering as a thief, suffering as a busybody should not, busybody brother, should not come upon the person who suffers as a Christian. In fact, it says the spirit of glory rests upon him. Are you still with me tonight? But let him glorify God in this matter. Okay, so that concept of suffering as a Christian is something we must thoroughly understand. Because there are many sufferings that is currently happening in my life, in your life, in our lives that is not suffering as a Christian. Let me give you a simple clue. If what you are suffering is obtainable in somebody who is not a Christian, don't say you are suffering as a Christian. Are you following me? If somebody who is not saved is suffering the same thing you are suffering. Don't say it is Christian suffering. No. Christian suffering is exclusive to Christians. (laughs) If the essence, the purpose, the trigger, the cause of the suffering is not traced to the fact that you identify with Jesus. Don't say I'm suffering for Christ's sake. You can't call it suffering for Christ's sake just because you are a Christian who is suffering. No. We have to identify what is the cause of this suffering. put that in another version, verse, um, I think was 15 or 16. Let, let's see the conversation. I want you to really understand this. Verse 16. Yeah, in another version, please. I want you to really understand this statement here. Because he told you you shouldn't suffer as a murderer and while you may not suffer as a murderer, there are other matters. You can suffer as a human being. You can suffer because you're a Nigerian. Amen? Some of you, it's not, it's not a Jesus problem, it's not a Christian problem. The reason why you are suffering is that you're a Nigerian. The day you get to Canada like this, you will see that you are a fine girl. All those skin rashes that is happening on your skin, you will see that they are, they, they are not demons. If it's a demon, it's a Nigerian demon. Some of these problems that you think oh, it's because I'm a Christian. No! Check! Be sure! Maybe because you're a Christian, maybe because you're a Nigerian, and maybe because your parents were not wise. If one is ill treated and suffers as a Christian, which is contemptuously called, let it not be ashamed. Can you say another version, please? NLT, message, passion. But well, it is no shame to suffer for being a Christian. Praise God for the privilege of being called by his name. Another one. Let's do one more. If there's any other distinct one. And then I'll try to dissect this matter of suffering as a Christian. See, we don't be ashamed to suffer for being a Christian. Okay. Nothing to explicit here. But let me try and explain. I gave you a clue previously. That if what you are suffering is obtainable in other places where there is no Christianity or somebody who is not a Christian is also suffering, don't claim you are suffering as a Christian. Are we clear on that? But if you are singled out because of a Christianity, let's say at work, at work there is supposed to be promotion. And nobody in your level is promoted. Because the boss is wicked. Don't be quick to say, I'm suffering because I'm a Christian. No. Because other people who are not Christians are also suffering that. Are we clear on that? But if everybody was promoted except you. And then the boss now sends you a cryptic message and says, You, without your SU, you go see. For this office, I will show you. Then you can know, okay, I'm suffering as a Christian. Because the man said, with all your SU, I will show you. So he has clearly showed you why he's suffering you. Are we clear on that? Let's identify and remove some of the things that cannot be suffering as a Christian. Let's remove it. I want to first of all deal with sickness. Because that's a fundamental place we must really deal with. Suffering as a Christian, please, does not involve suffering, sickness in your body. Or whether Peter couldn't have meant that if you suffer sickness in your body, you are suffering as a Christian. It doesn't add up, except in the context where I gave the letter, where somebody is flogged because he's a Christian, and then out of that flogging, he now falls sick. Do you understand that? But uh, you are just living your normal life, and then you have a sickness, and you say, "I am suffering because I am a Christian." No, but let's let's really examine it. The questions we need to ask ourselves are things like, Is God the source of sickness? Is God the cause of sickness? Does God use sickness to teach people lesson? Now, just to get a straightforward answer, we must look at this matter in the perspective that Jesus brings. Did Jesus teach anybody... A lesson with sickness come on talk to me now is there any time you read in your bible that jesus was trying to teach a lesson and then he gave somebody sickness i said so you so can totally understand take this one first use an old body nothing like that right or was there any time jesus saw sickness and claimed that the sickness was something that god is using to teach people a lesson Okay. If people that say that God uses sickness, and there are many people who say that, and I want you to remove that kind of thing from your mind. This is the logic. If sickness is the will of God, hospitals are doing the work of Satan. Hello? Hello? Forget about healing ministers. Let's leave, leave healing ministers alone. Hospitals. Doctor is a servant of Satan. Have you noticed that people that claim that sickness is the will of God? Or that sickness is the suffering that God is using to teach them lesson? You notice they try to take medication. They try to stop the pain or reduce the pain. If it is the will of God, why are you fighting the will of God? If God is trying to use sickness to teach you lesson, why are you trying to stop the pain by taking medication? Why don't you just... Makamuda, it is God, it is, so let me enjoy it, let me allow it to continue. The reason any human being would try to resist sickness, even if it's by saying, okay, every time I sleep like this, I feel pain on this side, so I'll try to sleep like this. If it is the will of God, continue sleeping like that. now. Feel the pain and enjoy the lesson. Why are you jumping class? So you cannot make any logical sense out of the statement like, sickness is God's will. It doesn't matter. If sickness is God's will, Medics are servants of Satan. Anybody trying to cure and alleviate pain is working for the devil. It does not make any meaning whatsoever. Sickness cannot because it can never be. It can never be. It will never be. Are you following me? James chapter 5 and verse 13. 13 to 15. And I will soon stretch this conversation but let's start from sickness. And I think sickness is probably the major thing that people used to misconceive the idea of suffering as a Christian. Is anyone among you suffering? What does you say should do? The Bible doesn't suggest if somebody is suffering, is to accept the will of God. Now, the reason he says is if anyone suffering, let him pray. It's because the context of suffering here is clearly explained. Let's read on to understand the context of suffering. Verse 14. Is any among you sick? The word suffering chapter and verse 13 in the New King James is translated as affliction or afflicted in the King James. So is any among you afflicted? That's, that's actually how we put it. Is any among you suffering sickness in the body? So don't just say is any among you suffering. Is any among you suffering in the sense of being sick in the body, let him pray. Now, if he says let him pray, it already tells you that it is not the will of God. Because the prayer is not, let him pray for grace to continue in the suffering. Hello? And if you doubt it, look at the next statement. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Verse 15. And the prayer of it shall save the sick. If sickness is God's will, why are we trying to get saved from sickness? If God is using sickness to teach us a lesson, why are we trying to get saved from the lesson? And the Lord will raise him up. How can God be trying to teach us lessons with sickness and now stop the sickness again? He doesn't add up. Are you following me tonight? So if any among you is suffering, he's talking about suffering, sickness. Let him pray. Let him pray because it is always a certainty or there's a certainty about the fact that suffering sickness is not God's will. Not even for the unbeliever. No, never. How can God create the human body and watch it become corrupt and accept it as it's my will? He doesn't add up. It doesn't add up. God didn't create you to experience pain. I'm saying that If you are struggling to receive healing or the medications you are using is not working. Never now begin to think like maybe it's the will of God. No. No. Continue with your faith work, continue with your medication till you get it right. But never get the promise, it's God's will for me to suffer this sickness. However, that's not how the Bible teaches it. Are we still together? Romans chapter 8, verse 28. It's another scripture that people use to justify or endorse the sufferings of sickness. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God. To those who are called according to His purpose. Somebody says, well, I'm suffering sickness, but all things work together for good. No, please, this is not how to use the Bible. Are we clear? The phrase, all things, is only in the context of the discussion. What is the context of the discussion? Romans chapter 8, start from verse 26. Likewise, Spirit helps our infirmities. Go ahead to verse 27, and then go to 29, 30. He who all things, knows what the mind of the Spirit is. Go to verse 29. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined, to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn amongst many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, this he also called. Whom he called, this he also justified. And whom he justified, this he also glorified. The context is salvation. The context is justification. The context is relationship with God. Are you following me? The context is that when a man is in Christ, that is when we can say that despite all the negativities that happen around him, it, it works towards his good the good of salvation, justification, glorification in Christ. It's not saying that sickness is one of the things that will work together for your good or for your salvation. No, that's not what he's saying. And if you read the chapter for that, it begins to mention some of the terrible things that can happen to a believer. It says what can separate us from the love of Christ. It mentions a few things there. But it's not suggesting that, okay, when we see sickness, we should quote that scripture. and say, we don't have to resist sickness. We don't have to trust God for healing. We don't have to seek for medication. All these are working together for my good. No. The phrase, all things... Can only be used in the context of the discourse when I say all things is Satan inclusive of all things? Forget about this chapter. We're reading if I just say all things is Satan inclusive in all things. Satan is inclusive now. All things, hello, yeah. demons are they inclusive in all things? Yeah. Adultery and fornication are they inclusive of all things? Yeah. So you cannot say. All things means all things. Uh Uh-uh. No. That's not how to read the Bible. All things means the context of the conversation here. The predestination. The glorification. The justification. All of these things. The revelations of the Holy Ghost. To help our infirmities. All of these things are the all things he's talking about. That works for our good. Don't now include all things in every sense. I say. Including the sickness I am going through, all this work together for my good. Nah, are we clear on that? <laughs> this is a bit difficult for some of our previous theology. But try and really look at the Bible and comprehend what it is saying, and don't say what it's not saying. Second Corinthians chapter twelve is a very, very controversial part of scriptures. That. Um, many people have used to endorse the fact that sickness can be the will of God. I think God was asking about that last week. But let's look at it. Second Corinthians 12 concerning Apostle Paul and verse 7 Lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations A thorn in the flesh, everybody say thorn in the flesh, was given to me a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times, that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of God may rest upon me. Now, somebody, okay, verse 10, therefore I take pleasure in infirmities. And thank goodness, Paul explains his infirmities in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake. Everybody say, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, you read this, if you read only verse 7, and you read, turn in the flesh, you say, sickness, turn in the flesh. If you read to verse 10, you would see what Paul was talking about. Hello. Now, because of the word flesh that is employed when it says turn in the flesh, it is easy to say it is sickness. Flesh. Turn in the flesh. It is sickness. But no. When Paul was persecuted, his spirit was not persecuted. He was persecuted in the flesh in the sense that it is only on the earth that he can experience persecution. So persecution is also torn in the flesh. Are we clear on that? But let me emphatically say that there is no direct statement here that suggests Paul's torn in the flesh was sickness. And many people can easily come to a conclusion that Paul's torn in the flesh was sickness. It is torn in the flesh. But he was saying torn as a human being. When he says in the flesh, he was saying inconveniences or sufferings as a human being. And then subsequently, for Christ's sake. it does not suggest or affirm it is sickness in the body. No. There's another place in the Old Testament that the word turn in the flesh was used. Check Judges chapter 2 and verse 3. Or Judges chapter 3 and verse 2. I'm not sure exactly. I didn't write that. Yeah, but let's check. Judges chapter 2 and verse 3. Okay. So, it uses the phrase turn in your side. Therefore, I also said i will not drive them out before you but there shall be thorns in your sight and their god shall be a snare to you what god was referring to here everybody said thorn in your sides thorn in your flesh what god was referring to here when he spoke through his prophet was that the nation of israel or the nations that surrounded Israel that they did not drive out because of their disobedience, were going to be a source of, one, destruction, a source of temptation, a source of tribulation and persecution. Are you following me? You can't read tons in your side and be thinking, okay, maybe sickness of the waist. The same way you shouldn't in the flesh and be thinking sickness in the body. No? Are you following me? So if thorns in your side do not mean sickness, why do you believe thorns in your flesh mean sickness? It, it's not, it doesn't add up to the consistent use of the phrase. But there is nothing in scriptures that suggests that Paul's thorns of the flesh. If we follow the sequence in verse ten, we see he's talking about afflictions that are distresses and persecutions that he suffered for Christ's sake, and we have removed sickness from that equation. Are we still together here? Are you clear? Seriously, are you clear? So we are establishing that sickness is not suffering for Christ's sake. If you have an headache, don't say, oh, I'm suffering for Christ's sake. Rebuke the devil, take a medication if you have to, or don't accept it as, I'm suffering for Christ's sake. No. If you are suffering for Christ's sake, parastamol is a tool of the devil. Jesus went about healing those that were oppressed of the devil, healing the sick. If if sickness is God's will, that means Jesus was walking against God. Are you following me? You know, it's like when they accused Jesus of being a devil. Jesus said, "If I'm a devil, then what power am I using to cast out devil? Doesn't add up. Now how can you say I'm using billions power to cast out demons?" And I'm casting out demons and I'm from bilia. How can I be contradicting myself like that? If Jesus heals the sick, it's a simple statement that sickness is not God's will. Are we clear? Don't sit down and say, I'm suffering for being a Christian. No. Now, a few other things here that we need to address. We have demonically orchestrated afflictions and hardship. There are demonically orchestrated afflictions and hardship that is not suffering for Christ's sake in the sense that Peter used it in 1st Peter chapter 4. Somebody notices, for instance, there is hardship in getting a job, and it's not because he goes to the interview and he speaks in tongues. It could be a demonic operation that causes hardship. Somebody is struggling to find a spouse. It could be a demonic activity that is allowing for that. Somebody is struggling to make headway in life. It could be a demonic activity, but it is not still under the bracket of suffering as a Christian. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 18. Therefore we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again, but Satan hindered us. It was God's will that Paul visited the church, but he says that Even though he kept planning again and again, Satan hindered him. Satan made it difficult for him to make the trip. Are we still together? Now, just because Satan hindered Paul does not mean that Paul should accept it as the will of God. The concept of will of God and suffering. Is only compatible when it is suffering as a Christian. Any other suffering should be rejected and resisted and you should try to overcome the suffering as as it were. Are we still together? So these hindrance that Satan hindered Paul. Paul did not say, Since Satan hindered me, I will never visit you again. No. Paul will keep trying to visit. He will not say, Oh, I'm suffering as a Christian. So, there are certain hardships and afflictions that are demonically inspired and orchestrated. We should not say, oh, I'm suffering as a Christian, let it happen like that, it's the will of God. No, you should begin to fight, begin to wage warfare, begin to resist it. The one that you suffer as a Christian, don't resist that one. The Bible says glorify God. In fact, when they have, when it happened to the apostles in Acts chapter five, they glorified God that they were worthy to suffer for His name's sake. They rejoiced about it. But you don't get to rejoice when demons are stopping you, hindering you from progress. You know say I'm saying? rejoicing because all are working together for my good. Because you fight. You say no, this is not what God wants for me. You reject it. You resist it. But don't now say I'm suffering as a Christian. It is it's working. No. Are you getting me tonight? any suffering caused by your ignorance also by wrong choices and by sin should not be seen as something that is the will of God or something that you are suffering as a Christian. If you made the wrong choice and you suffer for it, it's not suffering as a Christian. As a Christian, you have the Spirit of God to guide you into all truth so that you don't make the wrong choice. So you cannot say you are suffering as a Christian. You are suffering for your ignorance. You are suffering for your wrong choices. You are suffering for your wrong habits. Don't say you are suffering as a Christian. Somebody is obese, for instance, he is overweight. And because he's overweight, he's having some health challenges. You he shouldn't say I'm suffering as a Christian. No. You should say that. Are you listening to me? Eat burger four times a day, drink ice cream six times a week. And get obese. Now say it's because of Holy Ghost. When they send me, now you come, they suffer me. Work on your personal habits and remove what you can remove. But don't say you are suffering as a Christian. You can say you are suffering as a human. Some people are even a bit fat because of genetics. It's transmitted to them. I said, what? But don't say it's like cross as a Christian. No! Are you getting me now? Okay. Now let's deal emphatically now in about 15 minutes with the whole subject matter of or with the actual subject matter of suffering as a Christian. But before I mention about four or five or six things here, that it really implies, let me say one thing that I do not really agree as suffering as a Christian. When you are making effort towards spiritual fervency, and it kind of stretches you a little bit, please don't see it as suffering. Don't come to church and frown your face and say, I'm suffering as a Christian. All my mates, they watch for me I, 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 I church, I they suffer. No. Hello? Do you understand what I'm saying? You don't get to do certain things for Jesus that you should do with joy and enthusiasm and call it suffering. You come for hazard, three hours and maybe you do not have the luxury of using your Saturday in a more carnal way. You not say, Ah, I'm suffering as a Christian. No. No. Not that's not that's not the way to do it. You should do those things with joy. You don't come to church, drag your feet and make you look like we are forcing you. I really wish I can sleep, but if I don't come now pastor will say that "Ah, I need to church. I'm suffering as a Christian. You're not suffering, please. Do you get it? But what does it mean to suffer as a Christian in clear terms now? Number one, persecution from people who hate the faith, who hate Jesus, who hates the gospel. Persecution. Let's see a few verses of scripture here. Second Timothy 3.12 For this reason I also suffer distance. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed that I am persuaded is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. This is not too emphatic. First Thessalonians three four. Uh, what did we read before? Okay, second three two. What did you give me before? Oh, you gave First Timothy. There was suffering truth. There was suffering that one too. I was confused. This was what I was looking for. Yes, all who desire to live godly. Everybody say, live godly. Please, let it be clear. If you desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, you will suffer persecution. If you don't desire to live godly, you will not suffer persecution. If you desire to live godly, you will suffer persecution from those who hate godliness, who hate God, who don't like God, who don't like Jesus, they will persecute you. In the early church, persecution was normal. They flogged people, they threatened people, they killed people, they cut off people's heads, they gave people to be fed to lions. There was an open square where they persecuted Christians publicly. In fact, it's one of the reasons why Christianity grew. Because the church was taught well that like if you want to live godly, you will suffer so they, when they bring them to public squares and they feed them to lions christians will stand and rejoice and say father i thank you because i'm secure in your hands people be wondering what kind of people are these how do you get fed by lions and you're still rejoicing and that's how christians began to speak because it was a wonder to many when stephen was stoned to death and he was saying father please do not count it against their name forgive them and his face lit up like that of an angel. And he says, I see Jesus standing at right of the Father. People we were like, what kind of a person is this? Because the church was well taught. If you will live godly, you will suffer persecution. You will not suffer sickness. You will suffer what? Are we clear on that? Persecution means that people will persecute you for your godliness. Not because of your fine face. Not because you have money. If the persecution is because you have money, there is not Christian persecution, it's money persecution. Are we clear? Yeah. But when you suffer because you live godly, your godly life is a, is a statement against ungodly people. They feel like, ah, this person, his spirituality is too much, we will deal with him. Daniel, they were, they were angry with Daniel because, come on, this man prayed and then he was blameless. They could not catch him in anything except in the matters of his God. So they invented a the law, and said, "This law says that nobody must pray to another God." They invented a the law to target Daniel. That is what it means to suffer for Christ's sake, to suffer as a Christian. Not like Daniel will now come late to work. They will now sack him he will now say, "Is it because I'm an evil boy? Ah. That's something for your laziness, not for Christianity's sake." Do you understand that now? Another scripture here. First Thessalonians 3-4. We read that earlier or we quoted that earlier. Let's look at it again. First Thessalonians 3 and verse 4. For in fact, now let's start from verse 3. No one should be shaken by these afflictions. He's not talking about the affliction of sickness in the body. For you yourself know that we were appointed to this. We were not appointed to the affliction of sickness in the body. No. I didn't mention poverty, but it's also one of the things that you must not. I, I don't have time, so let me stay with this. Let me stay with this. For you yourself know that we were appointed to this, verse four. For in fact we told you before, when we were with you, that we would suffer tribulation, just as it happened. And you know, verse five. For this reason, when I could no longer enjoy it, I sent to know your fate, lest by some means the tempter. I tempted you and our labor might be in him. So, Paul told the Thessalonian church when he was with them that, well, the Jews, because the context of this conversation was, if you read it thoroughly, the Jews were fond of persecuting those who became Christians. Paul told them, see, this will happen. This will happen. And it's happening because you are in Christ. It's happening because you are following Jesus. It's happening because you are godly. It's happening because you identify with the Lord. This is what it means to suffer as a Christian. John 15 verse 20. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. Say this after me. Jesus is my master. You cannot be greater than your master. And the context of it, Jesus explains further. If they persecuted me, what will happen to you? If you are not being persecuted and you are a follower of Jesus, something is wrong with you. Yeah. You are not following closely. When you follow closely, what they did to Jesus, they will do to you. That's just the truth. If what they did to Jesus, they are not doing to you, it means that you are not following the way you are follow. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Expect it. Wait for it. It will happen. It's inevitable. If it does not happen, maybe you should question, am I following Jesus enough? Are you following me right now? Second dimension of suffering as a Christian is temptation. Temptation, in a sense, is some form of suffering. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 18, please. For in that he himself has suffered, speaking about Jesus being tempted, everybody say being tempted. You know, I explained on Sunday, was it Sunday or last week? I explained the sufferings, yeah, last last week. There's the suffering of death that Jesus suffered. There was also the suffering of him leaving heaven and experiencing humanity. That was also a form of suffering. There's the suffering of being tempted. Once again, it is not sickness, it is not even poverty, or not having your needs met because of the kind of country you grow in, the kind of society where corrupt people are rich and wealthy, and people with integrity don't have enough to eat. That's not suffering as a Christian, that's suffering as a Nigerian. Are we clear on that? But being tempted is also a form of suffering. Let me see 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 7, and just to buttress this subject matter of temptation. And i like I like to twist it a little bit here. As a Christian, if temptation does not make you suffer, something is wrong with your consecration. If in temptation you do not experience the sufferings of Jesus, let me explain using the man called Lot, Verse 6, start from verse 6, please, so that we can understand. And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward will live ungodly. Verse 7. And delivered righteous lots. Everybody say righteous lots. Now, what you read here as who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked does not just refer to the wicked persecuting lots. Like coming to say, Do this, Lord, your righteous man will be slapping you. No. It means that when Lot saw homosexuals, he seen the two counsel of God, he said, ah, ah! He suffered. In verse 8, For that righteous man dwelling amongst them, tormented, everybody say tormented, tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawlessness. When you see the wickedness of the wicked, you are supposed to suffer in the sense that you're supposed to feel grieved. The same way God is grieved when he sees the wickedness of the world. Do you understand that now? Now, if what is supposed to suffer you as temptation is now what you find pleasurable, something's wrong with you. You need to know ah, I'm not working upright. Something's wrong with me. If what is supposed to be a torment to your righteous soul now becomes an entertainment, an entertainment to your righteous soul, something is wrong with the state of your soul. I know, I know I know, this thing. I know, I know what it is to be watching football. I see somebody wearing an LGBT armband. And I'm angry. I'm like, what is this nonsense? This is the torment of my righteous soul. It's suffering too. It's part of suffering. Being tempted. Being exposed to the wicked works of the enemy. The fields of modern society. You see the insanity of the liberal western world. And you are angry. You see drag queens teaching little children how to masturbate, and you are angry. You see, sex, you see primary schools teaching children how to watch pornography. You are angry. That's suffering. That's suffering. Are you following me? That suffering as a Christian. Do you get that now? Okay. All right. Number three loneliness is another form of suffering as a Christian. Luke chapter 6 and verse 22. Blessed are you when men hate you and when they exclude you, when they ostracize you and revile you and cast out your name as evil for the son of man's sake. That clause must be there. They don't hate you because you are black. They don't revile you because you are fair. They don't cast your name as evil because you are rich. They don't hate you because you are intelligent, but for the son of man's sake. Who is the son of man? Do you understand this now? This form of loneliness where you're ostracized, excluded, nobody wants to talk with you, nobody wants to roll with you, nobody wants to play with you because you're a Christian is a form of suffering as a Christian. There are lonely moments in Christianity, it's part of it where you, 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 you'll be so bored and so lonely, but the only people available are people who speak vile, wicked, filthy things. And you'd rather just stay lonely like that, than go and join them. You'd rather, rather just stay here, uh, counting the ceiling, One, two, three. Than go and join them. They're organizing a the party around you. The songs are vulgar, lewd, sexually seducing songs. Everybody's grinding and smooshing and holding to themselves in lewd manners you stay in your room and say i'm not going to join them it's suffering as temptation but it's also suffering as loneliness not going to join them they invited everybody they didn't invite you is suffering as a christian loneliness are you following me at work everybody's gisting and gossiping and saying bad things about your boss but they won't talk when you show up because they know you will say, ah, this is not appropriate. I'm not supposed to be speaking about our company like this. I can't say this in the presence of my God. Why should I say it behind her? I'm not going to join the gossip and backstabbing. So they keep quiet, join you, come. That's what you do. As you do, he will report us. And oh no, you will not report them. They are not going to feel comfortable being free amongst you. That's the loneliness a Christian suffers. And uh, it's what it is. Blessed are you when men hate you. And when they exclude you. <laughs> I know what it is to be excluded. As a minister of the gospel, who stands for truth. Who is not going to compromise. Who is not going to be politically correct. Who is not going to be diplomatic in my approach. To be excluded. <laughs> so that guy, waiting to talk, not true, but we don't know if you call him. I not know if you call him. He goes point market for us. Excluded, for Christ's sake. Yeah. Are we still together? Number four, criticisms. Matthew five eleven. In in fact, in verse twenty two of Luke six it talks about when they revile you. Now put it in Luke twenty two. Luke six twenty two. Put in another version. Let's see the word revile in another version. Let's see what it means. But I want to talk about criticisms from opposing camps as part of the sufferings of a Christian. Alright, when they exclude you and mock you and curse you, they mock you, they will laugh at you, they will ridicule your faith. Then they go to church again. Moo they just they collect your offering, then they turn your head, moo people It's part of it. You read some I sometimes I check atheist groups. Maybe somebody shares it, something funny there, and I just follow the sequence. You see the way this people insult Christians. Ah <laughs> I see those guys are experts in speaking evil. You see what they say about Jesus. I've seen blasphemous things about Jesus. About the church, about pastors. You see where they're insulting pastors, you you read all this the right and they like them ah! like Now wow. This pastor was where they go. Nah, and that's the one you read. The one that you don't know of that they are saying behind you. <laughs> Criticisms. Anybody that is a pastor is just a dropout. A lazy school dropout. Who doesn't want to work? Is there collecting tithe and of offering? Meanwhile, sometimes the pastor gives more than he collects more. Did I say meanwhile? Many times. <laughs> How much is the offering? <laughs> How much is the offering? We insult pastors, talk trash on them. For Christ's sake, for Christ's sake. Are you following me? Let's go to Matthew five eleven where I quoted earlier. Blessed are those, or blessed are you, when they revile and persecute you, and say all kinds of evil against you. Firstly, what's the last statement? If, it's not, if that for my sake is not there, you know it's not suffering for Christ's sake. It's not suffering as a Christian. For my sake. If they at you because you cannot dress, that's not what we're talking about. It's not suffering, for for suffering as a Christian. When they insult you because you don't you know how to dress, that's not suffering as a Christian. But when they insult you, say evil things against you, for Christ's sake, you are suffering as a Christian. Number four. Number five. Rather. This is a bit dicey, but it's also part of it. Self denial is also an expression of suffering as a Christian. Paul says in first Corinthians to deny, um, I put my body under uh, and was speaking about like an athlete, he has to be temperate in offense. Look for that scripture, first Corinthians nine. You should check out maybe verse 26. But I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I preach to others, I myself should be disqualified. Put it in verse 26. Let's see the previous statement. Therefore, I run, thus, not with uncertainty, thus I fight, not as one who beats there. So it's describing an athletic activity. Is describing something that athletes do. Verse 27. I put my body under, or I discipline my body, like the New King James says, and bring it unto subjection. So there are certain self-denials that the Christian engages in that is also a form of suffering. If you fast in putting your body under, you are denying yourself. It is a form of suffering there. Are we still together? The present world or the normal world lives with a philosophy of self-love, self-comfort, self-convenience. Meanwhile, one of the emblems of Christianity is self-denial. Are you listening to me? One of the emblems of Christianity is self-denial. And in Hebrews 11 25, we see this is Moses, an example of self denial. There are certain things, 25 please, not 35. There are certain things you may have legitimate access to, but because you want to, or because you choose to deny yourself, you will suffer as a Christian and abstain from it. Are you listening to me? Fasting is one of those things. Eating food is not a sin. But if I say I want to fast, I am choosing to deny myself. And fasting does not come with the insulation of not feeling hunger pangs. God will not say, Oh, because you are fasting, you won't feel hunger. Before you know that it's six o'clock, we reach. You will feel the hunger. You will suffer the hunger. But you are suffering as a Christian. Do you understand that? self now. Verse 25 of Epistle concerning Moses, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasure of sin. So there's also a sin context here. Let's use sex as an example. If somebody is abstaining from premarital sex, it's a form of suffering. It's refusing the pleasure of sin. Even though I was watching Pastor Tolumudi, a brief clip of him, and I I like his approach towards this. I personally do not like it when Somebody, like I said in the before I began to talk about the actual sufferings of a Christian, somebody is doing what is right and is trying to create a sympathy impression. Now they suffer. Oh, hey, I've been dating for four years, I never touched my woman. Oh, somebody don't tire me. No, that's not the right approach. Are you following me? Do you know, now sit down when the sympathy is sitting. Hey, I'm really suffering. Okay. I know, see, breasts all these years. I'm suffering. You, know. <laughs> you should be excited in practicing righteousness. Do you understand that? You should be joyful about practicing righteousness. And make, not make it look like, ah, oh, God, just a suffer person. <laughs> it's not the approach. It's not the approach. You get me now. But there's the, there's, there's the dimension of refusing to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. And in the context of Refusing to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Let's see the next verse to be sure what it meant. Esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. So the sin that Moses did not enjoy was not fornication. It was the honor of being called a Pharaoh's son, or even eventually Pharaoh. That's honor. That's glory. He rejected it. But it was still accounted as suffering. Because he considered the reproach of Christ. So we call it the reproach of Christ because he he forsook the treasures of Egypt as the cost of following the people of God. If he forsook the treasures of Egypt... Just, listen to me, oh, listen. Just on the account of killing an Egyptian that suffering as a murderer. Are you following me? So while the Exodus story does not give you the full picture, the rights of Hebrews tells you the full picture. That the old living Egypt was not just because I killed somebody, but because he identified with the people of God. Of course, the killing an Egyptian was in defense of a Jew. Are you following me? That's why we can call Moses' suffering, suffering for Christ's sake. Luke chapter 9 verse 24, the words of Jesus. Whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life, start from verse 23, I think I've jumped the verse here. Then he said to them all, if anyone desires to come after me, turn to your neighbor and say, if you desire to come after Jesus, you will have to deny yourself. You will have to take up your cross and follow him. So there is a cross that comes with following Jesus. It's a cross of suffering, self-denial. You can't be... All about yourself as a Christian, selfishness is not compatible with the Christian spirit. It's not. So every time we are selfless, there's suffering that happens because of that. Every time we have five naira, and instead of spending it all on ourselves, we give. We are generous. We are liberal. It's suffering, but it is part of the self-denial that the follower of Jesus has to bear. There are many things I could have done for myself. (laughs) But I understand that Christianity is not about keeping things for yourself, enjoying yourself. (laughs) That's not the Christian life. That's not the Christian life. There's a lot of self-denial. And suffering, but it's suffering for Christ's sake. It's suffering as a Christian. One last thing here, and I will say something as a conclusion. Sacrificing towards kingdom progress is also part of suffering as a Christian. Sacrificing. Towards kingdom progress. Somebody is becomes a missionary. He abandons his job. Abandons the luxury of a city life. And takes up the gospel and preaches in rural environments or environments that are not too convenient. He's sacrificing towards the kingdom progress. He's suffering for Christ's sake. I'm a minister of the gospel full time. Listen to me. I'm not an illiterate. I'm not an idiot. I am not short of ideas in terms of chopping the life and living big. <laughs> I know what to do exactly. But the sacrifice for kingdom progress that I've chosen to do is suffering for Christ's sake. and I must not once again, like I said, sit down with a posture of self-pity as Judah no. but yes, I'm suffering for Christ's sake. I know. I know what I can be. Even the ministry that I'm doing, I know what I can do, I can do to alleviate. I know the corners I can cut. I know the diplomatic spirit I can invite. But I say, nah. The, the kingdom will not progress like this. The church may grow, and many people may attend our services, but the kingdom will not progress like this. So for the sake of kingdom progress, I want to suffer. And stay with the truth and not compromise. And not do program that will just attract people. Meanwhile, the kingdom of God is not progressing. I will stay with the truth. I will suffer for it, but I will rather do it. I will rather do it. Are you following me? I see the gimmicks that ministers do. It's cheap. You don't have to be too smart yourself to follow those kind of methods. It's very easy. But I say, nah 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 nah. For the sake of kingdom progress, not denominational advancement. My essence is not to advance the name of my denomination, but to advance the cause of Christ. And if it's not going to advance the cause of Christ, I would rather not do it. I would rather suffer there, stay in the gomos, just suffer there. It's than to compromise with the values of God's kingdom and become a general. Meanwhile, God's kingdom does not advance, but my name progresses. My name advances. No, no, no. In conclusion, here I want to make it clear that Jesus suffered in two dimensions. There are sufferings of Jesus that he suffered so that you will not have to suffer it. Jesus suffered guilt, condemnation, rejection on the cross. The Father said. Or oh, Jesus said, My father, my father, why have thou forsaken me? Jesus became seen. He suffered rejection in the sense that God as it were forsook him. Are you listening to me? He suffered that one so that you will not suffer it again. His body was beaten and broken so that you will not be sick. Isaiah 53 himself took our infirmities the chastisement of our peace was upon him by his stripes you are healed he suffered all of that so that you will not suffer it but there's another suffering that jesus suffered the bible says he left us an example that we should follow first Peter chapter two sorry this is the last thing i want to say but i want to get it out of my chest This should be... Verse verse 21. Let's start from verse 20. For what credit is it when you are beaten for your fault? You take it patiently. But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us leaving us an example, this example is an example of endurance and meekness in suffering, that you should follow his steps. Look at these statements in verse 2: Who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. Verse 23, who when he was revived, did not revile in return. When he suffered, did not threaten. But committed himself to him who judges righteously. Who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we having died to sins might live for righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. So you see the two dimensions of Jesus' suffering here. He suffered so that we will not suffer. The things that are inclusive in the things that He does not want us to suffer is sickness. He himself took our infirmities by his stripes were healed. We are not supposed to suffer sickness because Jesus suffered sickness already. Do you understand that? But there is another suffering that we take as an example. It's about loneliness. It's about persecution. It's about being reviled. It's about being spoken evil against. That one will have an example to follow. And more importantly, it's not only the suffering, but the reaction of the suffering. When he was, was reviled, he did not threaten. When he was persecuted, he did not curse. When he was, I mean, he was insulted, he did not insult anybody back. That's the example of suffering, too, that we must imbibe. Are we clear? Stand to your feet Pray in two minutes in the spirit We won't take questions We'll just pray in the Holy Ghost We don't have time If you are praying, pray now Pray now Pray now Pray now Pray now There's a suffering that is ending right now as you pray There's a suffering by satanic affliction Ending right now as you pray Ending right now as you pray Handy right now as you pray. Rekete kada kada balabado se krekendelos. Mekata kata kata yakata lembrako do se kete kada yala ba nos te kenenos. Vilabrako ba do se kete kenenestus. Le kata kata yakata rabado se kenenenestus. Rababababalabale kete kre kete kendelestus. The grip of that satanic affliction breaks. Breaks. Because Jesus already suffered. Jesus already suffered. Jesus already suffered. Jesus already suffered. The hold of guilt and condemnation stops. The of guilt and condemnation stops. Hallelujah! We trust that you've been blessed by this teaching. We look forward to receiving your testimonies, prayer requests, and feedback. You can send us a mail at judahmae at yahoo.com. That is J U D A H M A Y E at yahoo.com. Till next time, remain in the consciousness of God's word and power. Thank you.